0: This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. I'm Mike. And since you're listening, you already know this is Conquering Columbus. And today on the show, Josh and I got the chance to sit down with Dr. Eric Korolak. Eric is the CEO of Action for Children on this episode. We talk a lot about Action for Children and how they are helping folks across central Ohio. But early on, we asked Eric about how he ended up working both in politics and nonprofits.
1: And when I left the academic world, I was very interested in policy. My background, I've been trained as an economist and I have an interest in how the country has maximized its labor force over the decades. And so I was interested in what helped people reduce barriers and help them go to work, and especially women and women's labor force participation rates.
0: Later, Eric spoke about some of the challenges facing childcare providers across the country.
1: Child care programs, whether they're for-profit, not-for-profit, small mom-pop, family child care homes, at the end of the day, they've got to make ends meet. They've got to safely, developmentally appropriately, and effectively care for children and bring them to their next level. They have to be there reliably every day, all day for parents. They've got a really big, challenging job. And it sort of doesn't matter what the structure of the provider is they're dealing with the same set of challenges.
0: We wrap up with Eric's answer to our classic question on living uncomfortably, where he points out that many are living quite a bit more uncomfortably than us.
1: In the early childhood world, living uncomfortably, that means trauma. That means something difficult something bad might be happening to a child not enough food in the home violence in the community it might be something much more innocuous that is creating stress and trauma for a child and making life uncomfortable and they see it they pick it up in our personal lives when We argue with our spouse when we're stressed over bills, when we're not sure we can make it as an early childhood educator in front of them. They pick up on that kind of stress.
0: As always, we hope you enjoy this episode and learn a lot as I know we did talking with Eric. That's it for me, let's get the show on the road. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host Mike here and me and Josh both here today. Josh, how you doing? Much better
2: now, dude. Today's been a nightmare. I had <laughs> to reset. Because you're talking to me, right?
0: It's much better because you got no, a chance to come in and see you're me. You're adding to the
2: nightmare right now. Uh-huh. I had to reset my computer today. Which means that I just lost lost everything. Everything, it's all gone. started
0: from scratch. Why did you have to reset it? What'd you do?
2: It's a long story, but I had files, and we were switching things, and, and now I, I don't have files. Yeah, yeah now I don't <laughs> have files anymore, and was happy it's over. Mm-hmm. I'm taking my one step at a time, I'm gonna make it through today, and then gonna have a good interview.
0: Talk about some first world problems.
2: <laughs> yeah, <it is laughs> like man,
0: I lost all my files on my computer today. It was the worst day I've had in a long time. Well,
2: yeah. I mean, I guess I could have a rock and a chisel, but you know what? <laughs> I bet you I wouldn't have lost that. So. Right.
0: It's probably true. I think that's a great place to pivot to talk about our guest today. So joining us for today is Dr. Eric Karolak. And Eric is the chief executive officer of Action for Children, the source for child care and early learning services in central Ohio. Under his leadership, Action for Children was able to combine forces with the Franklin County Board of Commissioners and the City of Columbus to launch the Franklin County Rise Program, which offers scholarships of up to $10,000 to families in need of child care care, as well as 500 signing bonuses of up to $1,000 to hire and retain child care educators. Previously, Dr. Karolak directed the efforts of the Early Care and Education Consortium, an alliance of more than 8,000 early learning programs providing care and education for nearly 1 million children across the U.S. He's also served on numerous boards and advisory panels, including those of national early childhood organizations, a nonprofit child care center, a local government agency, and a metropolitan United Way. He currently serves on the boards of the Ohio Child Care Resource and Referral Association, the Ohio Association for the Education of Young Children, and the Human Services Chamber of Franklin County, and is also a member of the Future Ready Columbus Advisory Council and the Groundwork Ohio Advisory Council. He holds a doctorate from the Ohio State University, and we are excited to have him on the show to talk more about action for children and his career. Welcome to Conquering Columbus,
1: Eric. Thanks. um, I'm exhausted listening to you describe all these things I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I I was tired by the end of that list, and I don't even (laughs) have to go to the meeting. Sounds like you're pretty busy, but how's
1: your day going so far? Good? Great day. Mike, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, one of the first places we do like to start is maybe just get a little background on yourself and your story, kind of how we got to where we are today, and we can start as far back as, hey, have you always lived in Columbus? I have not.
1: I think my on-ramp to Columbus was a pretty common one for folks. I came here for school, graduate school at Ohio State. I met my wife, Melissa, here, and I've never been quite able to completely get away. I spent about 15 years in D.C., but this is home.
2: Take us back a little bit about grad school, talk about what you studied and then how things unfolded in your earlier career right after that.
1: Yeah, I remember coming to Columbus um, my very first drive through Columbus. I'm originally from Toledo also. And I thought, where do the people work here? There are no factories. It's a very different environment. And of course, a great strength of Columbus is its education sector, its government sector, banking and insurance. We really have Mm -hmm. a phenomenal local economy, insulates us from a lot of things that other places around the state and the country aren't insulated from. And great experience at Ohio State. I really anticipated being an academic. I actually had a tenure track job, but it was at the University of Alaska, not exactly where I wanted to end up. And Did and you ever
2: actually go there or no? Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. What was that experience like? Beautiful place. I mean, I highly recommend visiting Alaska. Great place. Very difficult place to live and raise a family, unlike Columbus.
0: That makes a lot of sense. It seems like your career, you've been working a lot in the nonprofit space. So what kind of drew you towards that and how did you end up involved in that kind of area?
1: And when I left the academic world, I was very interested in policy. My background, I've been trained as an economist and I have an interest in how the country has maximized its labor force over... The decades, and so I was interested in what helped people reduce barriers and help them go to work, and especially women and women's labor force participation rates. So I was drawn to policy. I had a brief stint in private industry, and then worked for what was called the Legislative Budget Office. Its now current modern version is the Legislative Service Commission, and we did policy and economic analysis there, and that was terrific. I had the chance to author a study of the child care payment system in Ohio, while also tracking all spending on children outside of the Medicaid budget, and so it was a great great experience. That study got picked up nationally, and I ended up uh, running the federal government's largest clearinghouse and state technical assistance center on early childhood matters. And after a while doing that job... That is op- a lot there. Right. I don't think I know for, it at all. For yeah.
0: layman's terms, like, what should we be thinking of?
1: Yeah, well, you know, the federal government is a big entity. It has lots of different sources of funding that do good things out in the world. And in the child care space, the early learning space, to help states maximize their use of of the federal dollars the government created what are called technical assistance centers there are now uh, six or seven of them they focus on more specific things at the time this was one sort of mega technical center so we help states Spend their money efficiently and also innovatively. And then a part of the work of that center was to help parents and childcare providers with information and referral. So we developed resources, we helped a catalog, we created a library of early childhood resources that now is housed at the University of Illinois. Did a lot of really interesting innovative things around information management. But it was a federal clearinghouse and technical assistance center. It was a quasi-government job. I was actually in the consulting field running it for the government. And so the opportunities to speak out and use your voice were a little bit limited. Mm -hmm. And I remember finding myself at a conference, really, it's a small meeting of experts at the RAND Center. So out in California where you're from, Mike. Mm -hmm. And I kept getting asked these questions, and I had to preface my answer with, well, you know, I can't really have an an opinion on that in my professional capacity, uh, representing who I was. But if I did have an opinion, this is what it would be. And I thought, you know, really, I need to think about an opportunity that lets that voice be used a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So then I went on to work for, you mentioned the Early Care and Education Consortium. I was the founding executive director of that organization, which was an alliance of both for-profit and not-for-profit child care providers. The larger for-profit folks, because they operate at great volume, those are Large significant companies, big economic operators, and they could fuel with their resources the smart thinking, the authentic advocacy voice, the grounded work of those nonprofits. Think like YMCAs and individual significant nonprofits in larger cities. And so marrying those two interests together, one with lots of resources, one with lots of cred and a really important message to share, was a different form of advocacy and added a operator's sort of perspective to the conversations that were happening in DC around what to do with childcare and pre-kindergarten.
2: How did those two worlds actually come together? Because it's a nice idea, but then when you get this economic powerhouse that's driving for profit and has motives in one direction, and it already has more work on its plate than it can handle, and you're trying to drive into the conversation synergies of do good and here's our not-for-profit arm, you know, how do those two worlds start to
1: collide? It sounds maybe odd at a distance now, but there was much more overlap than one would think. To begin with, they're both employers. And whether you're an employer of a nonprofit that employs several hundred staff or a large company that has thousands, you're an employer and you've you got to think about a budget and how to manage work and make sure work gets done. And so there's some similarity there. There were differences. The differences were fairly minimal. More, I would say, glass half full versus glass half empty. Uh, more sensitivity to panic versus cool-headedness kind of differences, but a lot more overlap. I mean, at the end of the day, child care programs, whether they're for-profit, not-for-profit, small mom-pop, family childcare, homes, church-based programs, regardless of what kinds of programs they are, at the end of the day, they've gotta make ends meet. They've gotta safely, developmentally, appropriately, and effectively care for children and bring them to their next level. They have to be there reliably every day, all day for parents. They've got a really big, challenging job. And it sort of doesn't matter what the frame or the uh, structure of the provider is. They're dealing with the same set of challenges
2: so when does action for children come into play?
1: Well, after being in DC for a while, that was a challenging environment. And I love the work, but you know, the lack of bipartisanship is just astounding. And, you know, we still have a lot of that today it became kind of a challenge. And I would say the motivating factor for me, though, was that we were having just challenges managing home and work. My wife, Melissa, worked in Maryland. I worked in Virginia. And that meant we were literally traveling over the Potomac River four times, three different bridges, with our daughter along the way. It was a very challenging place to live. I think it is for folks who don't move their young and start their families or have extended family already there. And so we looked to... To return to the Midwest, to our roots. And it took us a little while to find the right place. And Action for Children happened to be searching for a new CEO at the same time I started a search. And so I interviewed and um, one thing led to another. And when was this? That was sometime in 2012, 13. So we're coming up on 10 years. Oh my gosh, yes. 10
0: years with the organization. And when you first joined the company, I guess, what drew you towards taking that role and accepting that role? And then what was the organization like when you first came
1: on? We sometimes call it a company in side too. So, right. I mean, you know, non or for-profit, like I said, there's a lot more in common than you might think. Gosh, I haven't really thought about that milestone coming up. Well, I'll tell you one thing that drew me to it is that my previous work had been all around advocacy and policy. And so that's good. It's still a major motivator for me, a lot of what I still do. But you're not developing, implementing. There's an aspect of that that I was missing from the time of running the Clearinghouse. And then Action for Children in particular has a unique profile. It's called a Child Care Resource and Referral Agency. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds around the country. We have in our state a network of 12 that are operated by seven different organizations. And they're all wonderful. One of the unique things about Action for Children is that it has built up a suite of services that face both child care providers, the early childhood professionals and the programs they work for, and families, whether they're in child care or not. So we have a significant portfolio of parenting services programs. Mm-hmm. So not only was it sort of closer to the ground and more project management and implementation than the policy and advocacy work, but it was also across the breadth of issues and programs that my professional career had been all about advocating for. Mm-hmm. It wasn't one or the other. And so that's very attractive. It's part of, I don't want to take anything away from anybody else, but it's, I think, part of our secret sauce. Mm-hmm. It's what makes us different from many other child care resource and referral agencies. If
0: I can wrap it up to one mission, it sounds like before I ask you what the mission is, I'm going to try and guess (laughs) is ensuring better child care on both ends of the spectrum. So providing resources to the childcare providers to make sure that they're providing the best care possible and getting information and resources into the hands of parents who need help finding the right childcare.
1: That's it in a nutshell. We like to say that we transform children's lives by changing the skills, the behaviors, the strategies of the adults who have the biggest impact in their lives. So their parents, aunts, other caregivers, and the early childhood educators that parents and families turn to every day while they go to work.
0: companies, grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. One of the things that we mentioned early on was the RISE program and others. So can you Maybe talk us a little bit about the RISE program so we can get an idea of exactly how you guys execute on that mission and one example of that. I'm sure that's not the only program you guys are working oh, on, but
1: Right. And really, before we talk about it, we should talk more about the pandemic because that's sort of central to all of it. Our work, this is our 50th year, so it's I don't want to say it's nothing new, but the pandemic really put into relief longstanding challenges facing childcare programs and also to some degree parents, families. And it also worsened those long-standing conditions that childcare programs experience. You may remember that in March of 2020, when we all had to grapple with it and schools closed, well, so did childcare programs. And of course, you still need child care if you're an essential worker, whether it's a hospital or grocery worker or a first responder of another kind. So there was a temporary pandemic childcare license made available so child care programs could remain open to serve those children of essential workers. And when that happened, you know, it was sort of like ground zero for that moment. Really, it's for all of us. Every family that lost child care access to school then. And we knew that whatever was coming, it was going to be very different than what had been there. And so as we did in other times with very different kinds of crises and to reach out to stand alongside child care providers as they either closed their program because they weren't going to be serving essential workers, or as they stood their program back up to serve this special population. And the suite of services we developed to help those providers at that time really gave rise to our knowledge base, our understanding of the problem, and then our ability to help with others, the elements that became Franklin County Rise. Child care providers have really had a heck of a time the last two, three years now, and the families that rely on them haven't done any better. It's really hard out there, especially if you have a young child or running a business trying to care for that young child. Among the problems that are out there is that everywhere you see a labor shortage, whether it's restaurants, our own staff, we have several open positions. And that's intensified in the child care sector where you have work that is incredibly valuable. It's so important, such noble and sound work but it's also deeply disrespected. It's not paid at or valued the way it should be. And that lack of respect and reward makes it that much more challenging for folks to raise their hand and do this work. And so that labor shortage is really acute in the childcare sector. We know that most of the pandemic, the loss of employment in the pandemic in the economy as a whole has rebounded. We're almost at the exact same level we were before, but in childcare, we're still down 8.8% of the workforce. For us. And so that's a major challenge. And without those staff, you can't open as many classrooms. You may not be able to run classrooms at all. Child care programs have not been able to meet what demand there is, and we believe that demand is off. And without classrooms open, seats filled, the revenue isn't coming in, it's very difficult to cover costs. We know that in Franklin County, as our most recent data showed, more than half of child care providers were not able to cover expenses. So they're in deep pain. And in fact, over the course of the pandemic, more than 240 programs have closed throughout the central Ohio region, about one out of six. So there's a lot of hurt in child care. And for families, what they saw was fewer options, already challenging before the pandemic, fewer options and increasing tuition. Mm -hmm. The average price of infant care in a center, so if you're a new mom or dad and got a baby, you need to go to work. The average price of infant care in a child care center in Franklin County is $13,100, which is $600, $700 more than a first year tuition at Ohio State. And that is too true all around the country. In more than 40 states, the cost of infant care is above the tuition at the flagship state university. That is a central challenge that we faced here in Franklin County. And so our leaders in the city and with county commissioners asked for action for children to pull together a group to identify what's going on in childcare, what are the challenges and how could they help them? This was a little over a year ago when The Federal American Rescue Plan Act had been passed, and so there were some federal dollars coming to local government. And we are really very lucky in our community. This is not common. It's not true everywhere in Ohio, much less around the country. But in our community, we have a number of leaders who are committed to early childhood education. With the city, you have President Pro Tem Liz Brown, a champion of pre-kindergarten child care. And the mayor, Andy Ginther, made it a priority in his campaign and then has lived up to that as mayor in terms of several new initiatives, buildings that are being opened. And then at the county, Erica Crawley, the first Black woman county commissioner, president of Franklin County Commissioners, knew on a really deep level, having lived this as a parent and having been in the early childhood workforce, knew this at a very deep level, including after her experience at the statehouse that something had to be done on the child care front to help make sure that the sector was there as we went through the pandemic and to help make sure that families had access to quality options. So that's where Franklin County RISE came from. Good local leadership, a group of experts that we helped assemble to come together on a consensus set of recommendations. And those were part of the Columbus Recovery and Resilience Advisory Committee report on how the city should address the crisis that was the pandemic. And then just at the earlier part of this year with action by the Franklin County Commissioners to create what together is now called the Franklin County Rise Program.
2: And carrying that over into the funding and how you're able to act upon the initiatives that you're focused on right now, where does that come from and how do you drum up all of the support?
1: Well, you know, I have to say that after 50 years, Action for Children is a trusted resource. Folks know us, they know we don't overpromise. What we say we do is what we do. And that helps. There are great allies in this work. You know, not only are the local government, both city and county had leaders that below the elected level, staff leaders that they were willing to commit to this effort. So right alongside, as we were working on the recommendations, you know, we had deep buy-in in that sense. And our nonprofit sector has some tremendous organizations, Future Ready Columbus, which is our pre-kindergarten initiative to focus on improving pre-kindergarten outcomes by 2030. And then many nonprofit and for-profit childcare programs were involved in the effort to come up with what the right solutions were. I have to say it did help me to have lots of contacts back in DC to be able to tap also a network of other childcare resource and referral agencies in Ohio and around the country to find out what others were doing, what seemed promising, what made the most sense for local government to do instead of state government, because the state is involved also with the American Rescue Plan Act and relief measures. So along with that, right, when
0: we talk about how we get our funding and where it's coming from, I was kind of going through a pamphlet that we had dropped off at the beginning of the interview. And I'm looking at the expenses, right, from and I think these figures are from 2020, 2021, July 1 through June 30th, 2021. And 47.6 percent of expenses go to parents, guardians and families and 43.8 percent going to your early childhood community. So pretty impressive number. Right. I know that a lot of nonprofits, they would struggle to get to that high of a percentage of their expenses and revenues going to the actual mission and community. So how are you guys able to keep that kind of, especially like only 5.7 percent of funds going to management and general expenses?
1: How are you guys able to keep that number so low while still having such an impact? pretty lean organization. I do my own scheduling, which is not always the smartest thing. Our team is really committed. They work hard. And that's true whether they're working on the family and community engagement side or on the childcare side. I think we also work smart, especially in the last few years. We've really made an investment in data, in our ability to collect and use data to inform our work. And to also engage the community. And so I think that's a lot of it. We're a very mission-focused agency. So we begin the day. How are the children is a common question. I'm sure you've maybe heard that adage. You're motivated when you're thinking about what you can do, whatever your job is, what you can do at the agency to improve things for children in our community. You know, the other thing I noticed when you were going to our expenses is that, you know, that's a pretty even balance, mm-hmm. too. To go back to the comment I made earlier about the robust parent and family services we offer, I think that's a testimony to that as well. Our parenting services, for example, include not only parent education classes for maybe new parents or folks who are trying to figure out how to better communicate with their children, whatever the case may be, but also home visiting programs We're the only place in the community and one of the few in the state where home visiting services are Available for families with children who are newborn up to school age. We do two separate programs, but in both, the emphasis is on helping the parent, whether it's mom, dad, whomever may be the guardian, understand that they are their child's first best teacher and serve several hundred children directly through that. And then we also have a really innovative. Programs and Responsible Fatherhood, helping men understand their unique role in the family as dad, helping them reconnect when they've become disconnected with their child and the custodial parent, and helping them also bring all they can offer to that family. It's really a crucial thing. And that emphasis on fatherhood or in our programs for moms is always with a focus on the child at the center. One of the mantras that I often use is, how are the children? That's the number one question to ask. And if you're thinking about, as a mom or a dad, or you're thinking as a staff person, how you can improve their ability to work with each other and create a solid foundation for the young child, you're bound to do good. So our parenting services, home visiting and responsible fatherhood programming, that's been a huge source of strength for the agency to draw on expanding our understanding of child development and of community development, neighborhood development and family development. And that balance that you pointed out in the funding, we're probably best known for our work with child care programs and helping parents find child care programs. But that's only half the story. And the work on the childcare side includes a lot of work with individuals who are in the classroom or in their family childcare home, improving their knowledge base, strengthening their skills, helping them be the best early childhood educator they can. And also then working with their program, the agency, the child care center that employs them or their own program as a family childcare provider to improve the quality of care that's offered and hone the business skills so that they're able to deliver that care in the most efficient way possible.
0: Hey, everybody. Mike here to talk quickly about an amazing local organization, Casey Cares. And Casey Cares is hosting its inaugural 5K one mile walk on September 11th at lower.com field. The event is super special as all of the proceeds go directly to help the brave, critically ill children in our community, as Casey Cares creates little moments and lasting memories for those who are battling for their lives. Casey Cares knows that the best palliative care comes from continuous, ongoing support. And for families whose faith, relationships, and pocketbooks have been stretched to their breaking points, these programs with a special touch may be the only break many have from hospital stays and doctor's visits to join conquering columbus in supporting this amazing cause you can register for their upcoming race by going to caseycares.org that's c-a-s-e-y cares.org participants will receive a t-shirt finishers medals and will be able to enjoy post-race refreshments on the plaza at lower.com field if you haven't been there lower.com field is amazing so we definitely recommend you go check it out but we look forward to seeing you there don't forget you can go to caseycares.org for more info thanks so much for tuning in let's get on with the show
2: What are some of the biggest challenges right now or that you foresee moving forward as you continue to act upon the different goals and other endeavors that you guys have going on across the team?
1: You know, families face a lot of stress right now. It's hard some days to see where relief comes on that front. The need to support parents, whether it's mom, dad, or guardians in many cases, grandparents, kinship caregivers, is just going to grow. That increasing demand is something that it troubles me. I mean, it means there is more to do every day. Our resources are stretched plenty. So our ability to reach, to be able to serve and serve well more families is a challenge. We need the support of the community to do that. I'm concerned also about what our child welfare system looks like. We've recently ventured into support for foster care and adoption, working with our state partners to grow the supply of foster parents in our community, to add supports for foster parents and for kinship caregivers. And that is a tremendously needed resource. More families and individuals who consider doing the better for the young children who need their support. And then in the childcare world, It is very difficult right now. It has been difficult for many years, but it's especially difficult right now to keep doors open, to keep staff, and to deliver quality services for young children. So our team is committed to coming alongside individual child care providers, helping them be the best professional they can be, and helping their programs operate more sustainably. The emphasis is on quality, but also on being able to keep the doors open tomorrow and next month. And we'll keep doing that until the need goes away. Part of the value of Franklin County Rise is that it offers specific components or tools to address those needs that families and childcare providers have for the workforce, Franklin County Rise offers rental support. So if you're an early childhood educator, that's not a well-paying job. The average in the state is a little over $11. In Franklin County, it's a little bit higher than that, but still about just over $12. And at that level, you may well run into challenges with rent and other basic needs. Nationwide, we know that half of the childcare workforce is eligible for some form of assistance. About a third are food insecure. And so having a rental assistance program within Franklin County Rise is really important to be able to keep early childhood educators employed and housed and doing the best thing they can do for our community. It also includes signing bonuses of $1,000 to help attract new workers to the early childhood sector and to, in a small way, address the Lack of reward there is that our society is showing early childhood educators. For families, Franklin County Rise includes 750 scholarships of up to $10,000 for a year of childcare. That's so important because of the increasing price of childcare, and we've seen tremendous take up in that program. It's for families that are over the income level for state support, so above 142% of federal poverty and under 300% of federal poverty. And that is a population that otherwise has no other place to turn to, really, for help with affording childcare. And then for those childcare programs themselves, Franklin County Rise offers a set of incentives to help them serve all children at the highest quality and at the times families need them. So the incentives are for serving a wide variety of children, including children who receive publicly funded childcare assistance, for support in becoming rated in our state's quality rating and improvement system called Step Up to Quality and supports for operating during non-traditional hours after 6 p.m. and over the weekend. And Eric,
0: what do you see as the goals for the future, the long-term goals for the organization? Do you want to expand? Do you want to continue to grow and expand your reach? Do you want to focus on the region and solving the problems that we've got in front of you now?
1: Like, How do you see that changing? Yeah, we're wedded to this region and to its success, and we're committed to making sure that we play our part. As we look ahead to new economic development, we've engaged with employers around how we can support the utilization of the existing childcare supply and how we can grow that supply. We've talked also about the expansion of that scholarship program so that private employers can contribute to it, whether for their employees or for others. And we'll be doing things like that, including work with individual child care programs. Our expanse is not likely to change. We'll serve the same region we have been serving, but what we do is in the process of changing is constantly informed by data about what conditions are in the community and what's needed. That's how we came up with the recommendations, some of which were included in the RISE program, and it's how we'll drive our own work. Looking ahead, we're trying to make sure that we make the balancing act of Parenting young children, which is difficult now, a little bit easier by giving parents the access to tools and resources and other supports that will ease the burden of raising young children. We'll extend our outreach efforts so that more parents understand their critical role as their child's first and best educator, and we'll offer to help shape connections between childcare and pre-kindergarten and school programs so that the transition from childcare to school is made much simpler and more effective as both sides understand better what each is trying to accomplish and where each child is. So that emphasis on helping ease the challenge that parents face is really important. We're also focused on helping childcare providers hone their business skills to more efficiently and sustainably operate their programs. We want to expand their knowledge so that they're better able to cover expenses and to keep that program operating. We believe that there are efficiencies that can be found that will help increase the operating success of childcare programs, and we'll work to create a program that includes not only training and other supports, but expert coaching. And with those additional supports, our hope is that the childcare industry in Central Ohio emerges that much stronger from this period of really difficult times during the pandemic. If we're successful, programs will have more resources to pour into the classroom, to pour into their teaching, their pedagogy. And that's an area we want to also develop more. We do a lot of coaching around quality, the elements of quality in early childhood programs and our classroom coaching work is only going to expand. We just launched a program with MDRC, a nationally recognized research organization. Our team has been involved in implementing coaching around curriculum for a number of years, and we see that expanding so that what happens in a childcare center and a childcare program in a home is that much more effective. And we can begin to address that daunting kindergarten readiness figure. In Franklin County, Statewide, fewer than 40% of children are ready for kindergarten when they show up. We've got to be doing more on that front. And then the last thing I'd point to in terms of work ahead, we've got this great data platform that is informing our work, and we've always been a resource to the community for information. We want to start pushing that out more. So we want to start sharing, rather than waiting for folks to come to us to ask for the info, to start putting that info out. And whether that's in the form of findings from our child care provider survey we run a statistically reliable child care survey that's been operating throughout the pandemic it's the only one of its kind in ohio and possibly the nation or if we are using administrative data that action for children curates we want to develop tools that will help community leaders business people and those in the education field better understand where child care is where children in child care are and how to make the best decisions with that information
0: eric that makes a lot of sense and it sounds like you guys have a lot going on i think that's a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions of the show here with the first one being, Hey, do you have any advice for our listeners? And and if it helps our listeners are generally in the Columbus area, you know, they're interested in what's going on in business. Some of them entrepreneurs thinking about being entrepreneurs or wanting to get ahead and where they're at, right? They're typically looking to learn how people
1: got to where they are. Yeah. i think think of a couple of things. I'm not so sure I'm a model, but I'm going another direction. So, you know, you might be listening. I think I've listened to a couple of your episodes. And if I remember correctly, I have a little more male and a lot younger crowd than I am. One of the things I'd emphasize is this stuff about childcare may not sound all that relevant, but man, this is affecting you. If you look in your workplace, I guarantee you, there's a parent there. If you look in your workplace, there's probably a grandparent who's been dealing with their grandchild that they're raising. Employers, coworkers, neighbors, we all have some connection to this issue and to the struggles that families are having around raising children right now, every day, and whether it's a child care challenge or a behavioral challenge just within the home, we've got to sort of take ownership and say, our society needs to prioritize this more. We need to make this a priority in the same way that we make roads or schools a priority. Right now, we leave childcare up to the individual family, to figure it out, to go pay for it on their own. And in a marketplace where it's very hard to tell, is that good? Is that safe? Will my child actually be learning anything there? And at the same time, we also rely on individuals who are motivated by their heart, but the pay in early childhood is so low for work that is so demanding, it's a miracle that they keep going and they keep us going. So this is your issue as much as it's anybody else's. Another thing I think I would say is it's never too early to start and it's never too late to finish. Whether you've had a challenge connecting with your child or you've had a difficulty in terms of running with the law or your kid just doesn't get you or you're having trouble with your spouse, your co-parent, it's never too late to try and resolve that. And if you're worried about how to best raise your child, it's never too early to begin thinking about that, to begin working on that. That might mean that while you're expecting, you're getting on a waiting list at a child care center. That's a smart move at a child care home. It might mean that when you bring baby home, you're already thinking about yourself as an educator. So you're talking to the child, you're using mirroring images when looking at the baby's face and the sounds that you make. You're never too early to start playing that crucial role and never too late to finish it. I have a lot of hope and a lot of faith in our parents and guardians in our community, and we're eager to help them along the journey. That's great advice. And I think it's a good place to head
0: to our last question, which if you've heard the show, you know what it is. Uh, It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. So Eric, without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career?
1: Yeah, I had heard that before. And Mm so I kind of dismissed it and I thought, okay, I'll live uncomfortably. On the way over though, I was thinking about in the early childhood world, living uncomfortably, that means trauma. That means something difficult, something bad might be happening to a child. Not enough food in the home, violence in the community. It might be something much more innocuous that is creating stress and trauma for a child and making life uncomfortable. And they see it. They pick it up in our personal lives. when. We argue with our spouse when we're stressed over bills, when we're not sure we can make it as an early childhood educator in front of them. They pick up on that kind of stress. And so when you mentioned living uncomfortably, my first thought on the way over here was this is the problem, right? That That is the challenge facing parents and caregivers today, that too many children are living uncomfortably right in front of us. Now, that said, you know, successful change, it does require going through a period of discomfort like as an adult, when you are feeling uncomfortable in your adult body, probably something good is happening in the sense that you are being asked to think differently. But sustainable, important change requires a awareness of the needed change, it requires a desire to change, it requires knowledge and ability about how to change, and all of that needs to be reinforced. And that really is what Action for Children does in our programs with dads, in our programs with new moms, home visiting, when we are working with a family trying to find child care they can afford we're working with an early childhood educator trying to figure out how to work with a child who's presenting with some difficult behaviors all of that is around successful real change and it's about removing feeling uncomfortable right on that's what i think of when i think of living uncomfortably
0: love it and eric thanks so much for coming and telling your story talking about action for children and everything you guys are doing so appreciate you taking the time to
1: talk with us today mike josh glad to be here
0: yeah. And conquerors. if you want to learn more about Action for Children or if you want to support them, go ahead and check out actionforchildren.org. That's actionforchildren.org. And appreciate you all tuning in. If you enjoyed this interview, you want to hear more, just like them. Go ahead. Hit that subscribe button. You'll get episodes just like this one. We drop every Monday. Thanks so much for all your support. We'll talk to you next week.